Recorded live from where the campaign trail meets the Oregon Trail and all the candidates die from dysentery, it's Transformation Thursday. I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her. And that's it today. It's just me, Penny Sterling, with her pronouns being she, her. Amy Stevens has got a lot of shit going on, and she's unable to make it this week, and so I'm flying solo. And um, so things are going to be a little bit different this week. I'm just basically going to talk about the stuff that's going on in my life. And you can listen or not and just pretend that Amy's here or not. I don't care. So lots of stuff's going on with me. Um, What should I talk about? Oh, I know. Um, My name change. So uh, Penny Sterling is not the name I was born with. Um, And so when I transitioned and I realized that this is who I want to be for the rest of my life, I decided I was going to change my name. And I knew what name I was going to be going with, but I didn't think I was going to legally change my name uh, because that was a story I told myself. I do that. I will always tell myself stories about stuff that I want, but telling myself that I don't want it. I don't want to do this. I don't want to, I didn't want to transition. I didn't want to get uh, top surgery. I didn't want to change my name. I, oh, I do. I know I do. I'm just afraid to admit it, but I'm getting past that. And so last year, actually more than a year ago, I decided that, yes, I do want to change my name legally. And so I got in touch with some people and they said, oh, just, you know, first thing you need to do is to send us an official form of recognition that you are the person you say you are, and that's your birth certificate which I don't have. Um, my life sort of nearly imploded at the uh, turn of the century, the turn of the millennium, really. Uh, and, and just as an aside here, how cool is it that we can say turn of the millennium? I mean, there's not a lot of people that can say that. Just us, really. Anybody who was alive or just in this era talking about, well, way back in the turn of the millennium. You, you didn't get that uh, at any other turn of that I can think of. Well, there was the 999 to 1000, that millennium. But, um, and then there was, you know, the, I'm sorry, then, and then there's the 9,999 to, no, I get, there was only the, Very few millenniums get turned is what I'm trying to say. And in most of them, like in the, um, you know, in in the 1000 millennium, I don't think people were really uh, all that interested in it. It wasn't that big of a fascination, I don't think. There was no um, Y1K virus going along unless it was like dysentery, uh, which has made a second comeback in the opening segment here. Uh, It was just people living there and it was just an entirely different time i mean uh what people did for fun back then apparently was build generational buildings and cathedrals that you know a guy who's building a cathedral who comes up to the idea of building a cathedral to some saint or other and designs it is not going to see it finished not 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 even his you know, I'm, I'm assuming that as an architect, as one of these people, he's probably older, maybe a, a parent or even a grandparent. So this person who is designing this massive building uh, is not going to see it even barely start. In fact, his 
grandchildren, if he has them when that started, his grandchildren's grandchildren were probably going to be adults when this thing gets completed. And yet they did that. And that's something you don't really see. I don't see somebody going, I'm going to build a building that's not going to be finished for 100 years. They, there's not, that's not there. That's not here. And the, the other thing about it is that the things that the grandfather used and the people in the grandfather's grandfather, that era, those tools were, that they started with were the tools that also finished the job a, a century later. And we live in a time when, you know, something that you buy at the turn of the millennium is like obsolete three times over by the time this year comes along. Um, Anyway, I kind of got off on a, off the tangent there. But at the back of the turn of millennium, my life took a really bad turn, and I lost a lot of stuff, including my birth certificate. And, but the, that's not unusual. It's so not unusual that there is this group called a company called Vital Check that if you give them your name and your address and your phone number and you answer some questions about your father and your mother and you send it in and you send the money in and they send you back a copy of your birth certificate. So I did that more than a year ago. And uh, I got a notice back that there was a discrepancy and I needed to call them. So that's what I did. And they said, well, there's a problem. We're having a problem with your, with your mother's maiden name. And I said, oh, that's uh, Eleanor, Hor Eleanor Louise Horrell, H-O-R-R-E-L-L, -L, I said. And they said, yes, that's what you put on here. And I said, well, that's her maiden name. And they said, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. And they're like, no, that's not what we have here. Yeah. Well, I said, well, what do you have? And they said, we can't tell you. Are you sure that's her name? Are you sure that's the name that she put on the birth certificate? My mom is the most by-the-book person, was the most by-the-book person that was ever born. She had zero imagination. She had a lot of great skills, but she was not the sort of person who would... I mean, if she was Eleanor Louise Horrell, then that, by God, was what she was going to put on. She did everything exactly the way. Here's a story about my mom uh, and recipes. My mom was not the best cook. She was very unimaginative and un, un, uninventful. Uh, didn't, didn't really... She didn't make shit up, is what I'm saying. That included in recipes. And she would follow them exactly with absolutely no art to it. Um... And some of the stuff, you ever see those, like, you know, ad, those things on Twitter where they're talking about the 70s sort of foods that are out there and all this really hideous stuff? And my mom made that. Not only did she make it, she made it poorly because she had no imagination, none whatsoever. She loved her mother's sugar cookies, and she made them for year, every year for Christmas, my my entire early life, I remember her making the sugar cookies, and I always remember her saying, these don't taste like my mom's sugar cookies. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I'm following the recipe exact. And then this one time, like eight or ten years after she had been doing this, after her mother had been, her mother had died, uh, she looked at the, ref, at, the uh, at, at the recipe and she said, oh, for heaven's sake. Literally, that's what she. That's how she would say, "Oh, for heaven's sake! There's no sugar in this recipe." Her mother had forgot to put 
the amount, put the sugar in the sugar cookie recipe. And my mom never even recognized that there was no sugar in the sugar. She was making shortbread is what she was making. It was pretty good, but it was not sugar cookies. And then she never made them again. And about two years later, two Christmases later, I was like, mom, you don't make your mom's sugar cookies anymore. And she says, no, I can't. There's no sugar in the recipe. And I said, well, why don't you just add sugar? And she said, I don't know how much. That's the kind of person my mom is. There was no recipe, no sugar in there. She couldn't make the make the damn recipe because there was a. She one time yelled at me because I substituted Cheez-Its for bread in the meatloaf that I made because it wasn't in the recipe. This is not a person who's going to frivolously put a nickname in a birth certificate. She was Eleanor Louise Horrell, and now it's not that way because this was in 1959 when somebody wrote this, and whoever scanned it into the system obviously misspelled whatever it was, and they won't tell me what it was. So I'm like, am I going to have to guess about what my line is? like, you know, 20 questions, and it's 40 bucks every time I guess wrong? Well, finally, I, I got a lawyer who was pro bono, willing to help me with this part of the name change and the whole name change. The rest of this is a breeze, but she agreed to sign on. And she's a, a fantastic, wonderful woman uh, and is very patient with me and very understanding and has been working through this stuff. And um, also her husband is, a, uh, is also a lawyer who knows uh, people in the places where they can actually look at this uh, kind of maybe sort of a back channel thing. Hopefully they know me from the United States, New York State's Department of, I don't know, uh, is, is, is listening to this podcast because it's just so damn popular. So there's no, so there's a chance, of, of a very good chance that I will be getting my birth certificate <laughs> without having to guess my mother's name and some of the other things is, is there anybody, is there anybody else who knows what she might have put on there? Was anybody else there? Well, this is 1959. Um, the only person who was at this function that is still around is me. And I was kind of busy at that time. And my reading skills aren't what they used, aren't what I, aren't what they are now. So no, there is nobody else. I can just confirm because everybody knows that she was Eleanor Louise Horrell Pinkowski Anderson, um, that that's who she was. And so finally, I'm going to be getting my birth certificate, a copy of my birth certificate. I, I really hope that it has that information. I really want to know what, what it might have been that they put on this thing inadvertently. Just for old times' sakes, because it's going away. It's going away. That is not going to be my name anymore. And I I am so excited about this. I beyond even what I thought I would be. Um, you know, there's all these questions that I had, like last name. I was considering just leaving my last name and make like like Penny be my first name and Sterling be my middle name. And, and I was saying that I was considering that, but I wasn't, I wasn't considering it. I didn't want that. I knew I didn't want that, but yet I would tell myself that I did, or at least that I wanted to, to, to have that, but it's not 
I don't want that name anymore. And it's not because I don't love my parents. They were problematic. There were problems that I had with both of my parents and my brother too, but I love them all. I, even though my parents are dead, I still love, I love them and I miss them. Uh, I love my brother. I love his family. I love, and they're all with the last name, but I don't love the last name. I don't love the person I was when I had that last name and that more than anything else is why I want to get rid of it. And my kids who have that last name are fine with it. And so I'm fine with it. And then I get a chance to have a middle name. And I didn't know what I was going to do for a middle name. And I was like, asked that on social media, like, what should my middle name be? And a lot of people were like, make it Lane because Penny Lane, the Beatles song. And there are a couple of other really cool ones. And then people say, well, name, name somebody from your, your childhood, from someone from your family that is important to you. And if there's nobody from that era that I, I want honored that way, it just doesn't feel right to me. This was not a part of my life that I'm, I was really having a good time with, and I didn't, and I really felt connected with anybody. I didn't. I don't. So what's my middle name going to be? And then my sister-in-law, my, my ex-wife's sister, said, made, made a suggestion. And as soon as she made it, I knew this was the right thing for my middle I'm not going not gonna to reveal what my middle name is going to be. To the, There's like a couple of people that know it and they're all very happy that I've chosen this but I'm not going to do it until it's legal I don't know why maybe because I'm afraid that if I say it out loud too many times it's not going to happen you know catastrophic thinking and all that sort of stuff but it's it's a name that is very dear to me and very important to me and as my lawyer was filling out all the paperwork for this, and they're like, we have to have this exact and what you want. And so I have a blank for your middle name. And so I told her what my middle name was going to be. And she said it back to me. And that was the first time I'd ever heard anybody else say my real name to me. And I started crying. I'm crying now. I cry now. It's marvelous. I, I didn't cry for decades, for most of my life, unless, as my mom was said, she was giving me something to cry about. It's beautiful, and I am so happy I have it. And the process is moving forward, finally. And hopefully by the end of the year, I will be able to sign my name legally. And that is just one of the most exciting and most dear things that has happened to me. And I can't wait to tell you this. And I can't wait to look at that on my, on my driver's license, on my social security card, and on my paycheck. When I sign in at work and I, and I have to sign in under this other name, when I go to the bank and I have to use this name that I don't like, the assumed name. People, a lot of transgender people call the name that they had at birth their, their dead name. And I, I don't really use that. I, I don't want to, I have too many dead people in my family that I love already. I don't want to call it a dead, I, I just call it my assumed name because... Everybody assumed that's who I was because I never told them any differently, but now I am. And I'm really tired of seeing this 
name. I'm really tired of people calling me up and using that name because it's official. I'm really tired of doctors calling and nurse doctor's offices calling and me having to say, yeah, can you do me a favor? You know, I'm transgender. And so that's not the name I want to call, want you to call me and please call me Penny. And having to hear them backtrack and apologize, which I kind of appreciate, but I'm really, and I'm, I'm glad they're doing, I just don't want them to have to do that anymore. So I'm Penny Sterling and my pronouns are she, her. And even though I'm crying, I'm about as happy as I've ever been. And we'll be right back after this. Let's talk about change, Amy. Okay, let me see. It looks like I've got three quarters, a nickel, a Canadian loony, and a few British tenors from when I was in London, because I'm an international comedian. No, not that change. Change is in transformation. The topic of Transformation Thursday. Oh, yeah, that. Well, we're doing this podcast to highlight how much things change and how quickly they do it in society today. Everything changes, and change isn't good or bad. It just is. The more we realize that change is just the natural progression of things, the better off we'll be. Now, let's talk about change. Didn't we just do that? No, no, not the last one. The first one. The coins. Money. About how people can give us some of theirs so that we can continue talking about ours. Are you just trying to get people to go to our Patreon page to support this podcast so that we can continue our exploration of what it means to live in a rapidly changing world? Because although this is a labor of love, we do have expenses, and by going to TransformationThursday.com, they can help ensure that we can continue to be bringing this fun and insightful commentary on the world today, plus get exclusive patrons-only content. Um, if I say yes, can we get on to our next segment? Oh, God, I hope so. Okay, then. TransformationThursday.com. Also, can you break a 20 for me? Sure. I can get that to you in euros. Okay, now you're just showing off. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her. And that's it. Me. For the day. Amy is very busy. Seriously very busy. She is doing some wonderful stuff career-wise. It's requiring a lot of work on her part. And so this week, she just couldn't make it. So it's just me. So, uh, what am I going to talk about? Oh, I know. So I, I don't know if you know this or not, but I teach public speaking because I also don't know if you, I'm a, I speak a lot in public, so I might as well teach about it. And it's a fun class. I'm doing it at St. John Fisher College. I've got 18 really good students and they're telling some fantastic stories. They're doing some incredible presentations. Uh, there's a wide variety of things that I've seen. One of the things that was kind of interesting is two of my students have shared stories about going to Walt Disney World or things that happened to them in Walt Disney World. So it got me thinking about the last time that I went to Walt Disney World, which was a long time ago, uh, 30 years actually uh, ago before since I was at Walt Disney World. Um, and the way it happened was... Uh, my mother 
one year for Christmas, she didn't like have anything under the Christmas tree. She just announced that she had decided to take the entire family down to Walt Disney World for uh, an all expenses paid, uh, luxurious, uh, I think it was like a five day or a six day vacation at Disney World. Which, you know, is like the dream, right? The dream for a 13-year-old. Unfortunately, I was a 30-year-old at the time. Which still is fun. Disney World at any age is a lot of fun when you're there with your friends or your family. Like my brother. My brother is a year older than me. We could go there and have a lot of fun. But he had been married for quite some time and had two children who were, uh, in a, who were a toddler in like first grade when we went. And so I was this just big, you know, this is well before I transitioned. So I was just this big, furry, uh, goofy looking dude that was kind of wandering around doing his best to not look like the sort of person that might snatch a child up. And I guess I was doing okay with that. Uh, but there are things that I wanted to do, things that I wanted to see that everybody in our family wanted to see. This was right after... Walt Disney World had opened up what at that point was called the Disney MGM uh, part of the park. It was a movie-based adventure part. It, they built it there because Universal Studios had opened up just down the road from them and was siphoning off money, so they figured they needed to get some of that fine movie money back in Disney World. So it had a whole bunch of attractions and rides and things like that. It was kind of cool. Because I realized as we were going through it the day that we went there that not only was it a attractions for people to be there, but it was also training for people who were working or wanted to work for Walt Disney, the Walt Disney University, I guess, or whatever they call it. So there were people, for example, at the Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular, which was the thing that everybody wanted to see except for the two little girls. So we left them with a babysitter who was dressed up like, I think, um, Cinderella or maybe Sleeping Beauty. Or I, I don't remember, but that's not even remotely to the point here. The, the point is everybody, all the grown-ups wanted to go to this. And it was wildly popular. So we decided that that was going to be the first thing that we would do. Like the first show was at 9 a.m. And so we were in line for it. And even at 9 a.m., the very first show, the place was pretty packed. There were a couple of hundred people there. And we all rolled in there. And I was looking at the set and the staging area and all the stuff that was happening. And I realized that these people who were working there were learning about how to do things. The pyrotechnic people were learning about that. Uh, there were like, you know, grips and techs and loaders and then people loading film, learning how to pull focus, all these different things, all these different jobs that are in the movie industry that these people were learning as well as, you know, helping out with the fun show. So we're sitting there, we're waiting for this. And while we're watching, uh, two people come into the audience and start looking for quote unquote extras for this particular adventure. And they were playing it in character. We're looking for people for this new movie that's shooting right here. So we're going to need a bunch of different types. Tommy, what kind of types are we going to need? Oh, we're going to need, uh, you know, husband and wife. And so they grabbed, you know, and like, if you wanted to do it, your hand was raised. Um, and my, uh, my brother would raise his hand at everything, but he wasn't raising for himself. He would either, he would point to me or his wife, uh, Kathy, 
Uh, one of us or the other of us. So if it was a male thing, he would point to me. If it was females, he would point to, to Kathy, uh, who also raised her hand wildly and things like that. And so like they, uh, they're looking for the, you know, comic relief person, uh, all the, you know, husband and wife, the, the goofy guy, uh, leading man. Uh, and then they're looking for the, uh, the femme fatale, the Marilyn, as they called her, like Marilyn Monroe. They needed a Marilyn Monroe type. And where were they going to find that? And everybody who was raising their hand was a woman in, including, you know, my sister-in-law, my brother's pointing at her. And the guy with the microphone was like, okay, I think I found, I found our Marilyn right down here. And they start walking down the aisle towards my sister-in-law. And then they walk right past my sister-in-law and stop at me. Uh, deeply closeted me. Uh, bearded, burly, close to 300 pound me. I mean, I, I did not look like a Marilyn, uh, and that was kind of by design on my part. I was trying very hard to hide who I was, and I was so successful in it that this guy snagged me out of a crowd of several hundred to play the part, which kind of made kind of a dichotomy in my own brain. Because if you know me, and you probably do if you're listening to this, I like to perform. I like to get in front of people and do stuff, especially if it's an opportunity to make them laugh. So this would be right down the alley of a man who was doing this sort of thing, who was, has a good sense of humor and all that stuff. And to the world, that's what I was. So if I backed out of this, there would be a whole bunch of questions as to why I backed out, which I couldn't couldn't stand either. So instantaneously, I had to accept the fact that I was going to be Marilyn for this adventure. And so we all went down to the backstage area and they set us up with things and like they would ask questions like, do you have any theater experience? And we're all supposed to say no. And all the things that we're supposed to react and they start handing out these caftans for us because Indiana Jones took place in like a Casbah sort of situation. So we had to look the parts. So they gave everybody these like, you know, khaki colored robes and... Then they gave me a pink robe with tassels, and they told me that I had to fem it up. And so that's what I did. I did it really well. I will say that about me. I did it really well. I sashayed in there, and I sold it. I was blowing kisses. I was flirting. I was doing every single thing. They loved me. The people who were doing this love me. They told me how great I was. It was one of the best ones they'd ever worked with. I did everything I was supposed to do. I did it so well. Gosh, I wonder why. And the audiences loved me too. Their people afterwards were coming up to Marilyn, you were so good. You were so funny. You were so good. And I'm like, yeah, thank you so much. And I was smiling and I was acting like a dude that was like doing something haha funny, but inside I was dying. I was in agony and it was so traumatic for me to think about all those people. Because for two days, there were people coming up to me and calling me Marilyn and just laughing at how funny I was. Uh, and it was so traumatic that I essentially blocked it out of my mind as I was transitioning. I've written 
three shows where I have addressed my history and things that happened to me, and I blocked this story out. It wasn't until I was watching other people talk about Disney World that it came up in my brain. And I worried about this because I asked one of the people who's like, you know, loves Disney World and pulls out itineraries and done everything more than once. I asked her about this, the Indiana Jones stunt spectacular, because it was 30 years ago. Maybe they've changed up the show and they haven't. They're still dragging men out of the audience and having them act like women for laughs. And that is the sort of thing that transgender people have to fight against, especially transgender women. We have to fight against this all the time, all this assumptions that I'm just doing it for some reason other than the fact that this is my authentic self. I don't have an ending for this. I don't have a perspective that makes any sense. I don't have any wise words to wrap up the story like I try to do. This is just me telling a story about shit that happened to me that I'm still having to process. And maybe now, after five years of living as my authentic self, I'm more able to handle this. And maybe that's why it's come up. And maybe the ability that I now have to just tell stories about my life is a good thing. And maybe somebody hearing this story might think twice about doing a gag like this, or doing a man in pretending to be a woman gag, because for some of us, it really isn't funny. And for some of us, it is not a gag. Sorry that this was such a downer, but that's where I am. Or maybe it isn't. You know, it was, it was a fun, it was a fun time. And well, there's no end. It's just, it was a fun time except for that. And that was my life. I would bury this shit down and just concentrate on the fun. So concentrate on the fun when you go to Disney World and don't think about this. I guess. I don't know. Do what you're going to do. I'm not the boss of you. We'll be right back. This is Transformation Thursday. To financially support Transformation Thursday, go to TransformationThursday.com and that will bring you to our Patreon page. Once there, click on the Become a Patron button. You can also follow us online on Facebook. You can follow us by searching for Transformation Thursday Podcast. And please join our private Facebook group by searching Transformation Thursday on Facebook. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow us at TransThursPod. To make sure you stay up to date with all the latest episodes, please subscribe to the Transformation Thursday Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google podcast or wherever you get your podcasts on apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating and a short review it's free and it does help get transformation thursday out to a larger audience finally transformation thursday is copyrighted material all rights reserved 2020 welcome back to transformation thursday i'm penny sterling flying solo this week amy is too busy for me so i'm just doing this uh, the best i can by myself and you're probably regretting listening to this already. So have you been tested? That's a question you hear a lot anymore. You know, I've been tested. I had to go get tested. My friend got tested. Somebody that I went and had a dinner with a couple, less than two weeks ago, has been tested for COVID-19. 
because she was getting joint achy. And this is one of those things where any sort of ache, pain, sniffles that you don't normally have assume the worst and get tested for COVID-19 because we are in a pandemic. Um, and the best news is when you come back and say, I was tested and it came back negative. I was tested and it came back negative. I've been tested for COVID-19, I think four times now since March. And every time I was tested and it came back negative. And just recently I was tested and it came back negative. But it wasn't for COVID-19. It was for HIV. And it is relieving to have this negative result for that. And a bit surprising to me because I did not really expect to be tested for HIV because there's an awful lot of talk about transgender sexuality that I usually avoid. Even on this show, whenever Amy wants to talk about transgender sexuality, I will just bow out because I don't have a frame of reference for it. I have, until very recently, not had sex or any sort of sexual relationship except for one very brief, very drunken event in my car that I did just as much to get the guy out of the car as any other reason. But that was very early on in my transition. Uh, I have not had any sort of sexual encounter, which was kind of by design by me. It's not something that I really felt that I was going to do unless I got myself into a committed relationship. And when you are 61 years old, it's very difficult to get in committed relationships because most of the men that are in my age group that I would have some sort of commonality with um, are pretty damn conservative. Like my age group, whenever you look at Trump supporters, most of the people in my age group are also in my dating range. And I don't want anything to do with them. So that's one of my limiters. I don't want anybody who is conservative. Not because there's anything wrong with being conservative, unless, of course, you're supporting rules and regulations that are actively marginalizing the already marginalized. LBGTQ protections being rolled back, separating children from their parents. I don't know how these became conservative values, uh, not allowing women to have control or agency over their own bodies. I don't know how that is a conservative view of anything, but yet here we are, and that's what they're saying it is. If you wanted to talk about fiscal Values, that's something, a discussion that we could have, but no one does. Other than the fact that, oh, you got to get the freeloaders off. That's something that I would be willing to talk about, too. But not at the expense of all this marginalization that we're getting. So I'm not dating. Um, I'm not dating men. I'm not dating women. Men, because they are not my type and women because they're not asking me. So that's where I am or was. 
I, I had a fairly narrow group of people, liberal men over 50 who are six foot tall or taller, because that's another thing about me is I tend to loom. You know, I, one of my lines in one of my shows is that I'm built like your dad and I dress like your mom. And that's pretty true. I have a linebacker's build, musculoskeletally. I'm not saying that I am a linebacker, but I have stood next to professional linebackers in the National Football League and Division I linebackers. And I know that we have the same sort of build. So that's not an exaggeration. And so I really am aware of my size when I'm around people, especially men. Um, I'm attracted to taller men. That's just because anybody that does not make me feel like Gigantor has got a, an edge up on me. But of course, most men who are six foot one, six foot two of my age are also very successful because that's what you're supposed to be when you're six foot one or six foot two. You're supposed to be fabulously successful. And when you're fabulously successful, you tend to be conservative. So there we are again. So I have not been dating. And I'm not even sure that what happened could even be called a date. It did not. Um, it was going to be just me and this man, I'm, I'll call him Anthony, it's not his name, but I will call him that. It, it was because he pursued me and he was polite and he was nice and he was very upfront about the sort of sex that he wanted. That's the other thing about when you're a large transgender woman, the assumption is that I am somehow a dominatrix, too. And that I am interested in, uh, you know, BDSM stuff. And that is also not true. And I still have this one man who at least once a year will send me a very polite message asking if I would please reconsider and spank him. And I always very politely say, no, I have no interest in this. But yet he asks. So uh, this man did not want that. This man was interested in me as a, as a woman. And I was interested in seeing what that would be like. Maybe it's because I've been quarantined for so long and I have COVID brain. But I said yes to this man. And I went into this meeting saying, this is just for coffee. We're just going to meet. We're just going to talk. We will see if we have anything in common, which I don't think we do because he is six months older than my youngest son. And he's a good two inches shorter than me. So I did not think that anything was going to happen, but I did not take into account the fact that this man was gorgeous, just plain gorgeous. I mean, like, like Tay Diggs and how Stella got her groove back gorgeous. And so I was thinking, well, if Stella got her groove back, I, I, I've never had a groove, but maybe we could find one. 
And long story short, it was wonderful. It really was. All the sex that I have had in my life, I have had from the wrong angle, from the wrong position, being the wrong person in the equation. And I've alluded to this for a lot, but I've never said it straight out. But when I was having sex, the only way that I could climax, hell, the only way I could stay aroused was if I imagined that I was actually the woman in the position of receiving sex. That was the only thing that worked with me and that filled me with such deep shame that I couldn't be the man that I was supposed to be. And every time I had sex, it didn't matter how attractive the woman was, and they were all attractive, or how sexy they were, and they were all sexy. Unless I put myself in their position in my mind, nothing happened. And some of you may be saying, well, that's autogynophilia. Well, no, it's not, because autogynophilia is a man imagining what it would be like to be a woman. This was me trying to find the woman in me that I was and, and, and feeling and enjoying the feeling of being that woman, even if it was just in the reflected pleasure of the woman that I was with and in my mind. So this was my very first encounter, sexual encounter, as me. I had nothing to hide. And it was so liberating and it was so freeing for me. I had such a good time. I spent much longer with this man than I expected I would. And it was also unprotected sex. Because Anthony said that he had been tested and he came back negative. And I believed him or I wanted to believe him because I desperately wanted this. Right up until maybe 10 minutes after we finished when the freak out started. When the, okay, that was a mistake started when they, oh my God, what the hell did I do started the, oh, this is like the one time I could just see it. The only sex I ever had as myself was going to kill me. And I lived with that for weeks until I could get tested for HIV. And I told no one about this, except Anthony, kind of by Anthony. All I did was just like, he would actually, he wanted to see me again, and I could not do that. I was so freaked out that the, whatever I said to him was really not smart. And basically, I called him a liar. Um, and so I ended any possibility of any sort of connection there. But I came back negative. And that is a relief. But there's also an awful lot of sadness in this for me because... And but there's also... There's also joy in understanding and feeling and knowing that 
I am who I am and I'm able to enjoy and love and give love and be sexual and please my partner this way as well as please myself. Pleasing myself is not something that ever happened in sex. It was always, even when I masturbated, it was always just a biological imperative. I masturbated so I could stop feeling horny. And really, that was about it. One of the biggest reliefs I had when I had my orchiectomy is about three weeks after it happened, by the time I get, by getting all of that excess testosterone out of my body, and even with taking hormones to combat it, I still had that horniness, that male predator horniness. And then two or three weeks after the orchiectomy, I realized it wasn't there anymore, and I was so relieved. It wasn't that I didn't feel sexual or didn't feel turned on by anybody or enjoyed sex or did not have orgasms. All those things happen. But they happened to me in an entirely different way, a more fulfilling way, a more satisfying way. So that is something that I can do. That is something that I can rejoice in. That is something that I can feel and celebrate and celebrate with somebody else. I don't know who, I don't know if I'll ever have sex again, but I had it. At least one time I was able to feel like a woman in the position. I did not have to imagine anything. That was the best feeling. Well, that's really all I have for today. I, I hope that uh, you enjoyed or at least tolerated listening to me with all this time and all this stuff that I was talking about. It felt good to speak about these things. You know, we're only as sick as our secrets is something that I've heard more than once in my life. So I'm glad that I don't have these secrets anymore. And I'm glad you're here to share them with me. Amy will be back next week and we will probably have guests uh, and it'll be another typical Transformation Thursday. But for now, good night, everybody. Thanks for listening.